Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. This morning, as you can see, we're going to be talking about redemption. And I want to start by asking the question of what does that mean? What does redemption mean? Redeem, redemption, redeemer. These are words that are in some sense kind of Christianese, right? Like we don't really use them very much in just normal conversation. At least I don't anyways. And so it may uh, be a word that you're not super familiar with outside of maybe a church context or a scripture context. And because of that, it might be something that you could probably, you could maybe use the word correctly in a sentence, but you might have a hard time describing what it actually means to be redeemed, what exactly redemption means. And whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you are not even a Christian this morning, I challenge you this morning to really think about what the scriptures have to say about redemption and what it means for you. As we look to what redemption means in the Bible, we're going to be looking first at the Old Testament where the roots for this word come. And we're going to start by looking at what it meant for when people redeemed in the Old Testament, specifically looking at in the law of Moses, when God was giving them his law, what did it mean for a person to redeem? In Leviticus chapter 25 and chapter 27, there's a, there are several instances of this word redeem that gets used. And we're not going to look at all the passages, but we're just going to kind of give a brief overview of these things because we're ultimately going to be interested in what it means for God to redeem. But we're going to look at people here briefly. One of the types of redemption that you see is sometimes called kinsman redemption. And what it is, is it's a sort of, re it is when you have a closest family member that can redeem something on your behalf. So for instance, if you became really poor and you ended up having to sell yourself and your family into slavery because you were, a, and you were basically like a debt slave, maybe you had a closest family member who could buy you out of that slavery, who could take you out of that. And you would become for them a, just a hired worker. Another thing that could happen is you could become so poor that you would have to sell your land. And then if you sold your land, well, then what are you going to grow your crops on? Or what are you going to live on? And so you could have a closest family member redeem that land on your behalf, and then you could now have that land. And so this is a, a kind of redemption that is in, it's sort of like the, the economic structure, in the economic structure for God's kingdom, for his people, in the law of Moses. It's a way they can help each other out in tough times. Another kind of redemption that people do is when you can you can redeem something that's been given to God. You could have something that is a, either something that should be sacrificed to God and you could redeem that with a different animal perhaps, or you could have something that's been bowed to God or consecrated to God and you could redeem that back. And you could basically pay the price for what that animal was plus an additional little sum and you could get the animal back. And so when you gave something to God, essentially that became something that was part of the service of the temple for God's people. And so if you needed that ox back for some reason, you could get it back. As long as it wasn't dead yet. <laughs> if you hadn't sacrificed, if it wasn't a sacrifice, right? You could get it back, but you would have to, and that would be redeeming when you get it back. And so this is what it looks like for when people are redeeming in the law of Moses, is that it is someone else's or, and then you redeem it back. And so the two sort of key features that I want to sort of draw our attention to is that there's a change in ownership 
and there's rescue. Now, using this phrase, change in ownership, for a specific reason, which should hopefully become more clear as we go through. But you can see that in both of these things, there's a change in ownership in who it belongs to. And then there's also a key thing of, of rescue, of help, of something in which someone is being alleviated, especially in this kinsman redemption. Because if you fall into poverty and you have to sell yourself as a slave, it's a great help for your closest family member to buy you out of that slavery. Okay, and we're going to see, these two key features are going to show up again as we're looking at what it means for God to redeem. So look at God's redemption. Uh, this is maybe just the way my brain works. I hope that it makes sense to you. But when I'm asking, what does it mean when God redeems, or or what does it mean to redeem at all? Two questions that are really helpful for me to ask and try to get an answer to is what does it look like and what is the purpose? And if I can sort of answer these two questions, then I can get a pretty good idea of what it means for God to do this thing. So if I'm asking, what does it mean for God to redeem? What it, I'm going to be also asking myself, what does it look like? When God redeems, what's the picture? Like if you, if you wrote a movie script, what would I be seeing? And then what is the purpose? What is God trying to accomplish when he redeems? And we're going to be looking first and sort of mo spending most of our time looking at when God redeems in the Exodus story. So you may remember, you may not, uh, there are the, um, there's Abraham, and then Abraham has Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob. His name is changed to Israel. And Israel has sons that grows into a, a decently large family that is living in Egypt, and they are enslaved. God appears to Moses in the burning bush, and he sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And when Moses goes to tell, let my people go, the first time Pharaoh says, ha, I'm going to double your workload. And after saying, I'm going to double your workload, God appears to Moses again, and this is what he says. I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenants. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians and I will rescue you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Let's notice a couple of things here. God has heard their groanings. He has heard them crying out and he has remembered his covenant. He has remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham. He has remembered and he is faithful. He's going to do something about this situation because he hears them crying out. And so he's going to pull them out from under bondage. And it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Okay, what is that? That is with power with might, with strength. God is going to redeem them and with great judgments because these people are wicked. With great judgments, he's going to bring them out from under bondage. So we're seeing a couple of things sort of appearing here as God talking about how he's going to redeem them, how they are enslaved to these people, but they're going to be brought out of that slavery by God's power and with great judgments. And so maybe you remember what happens next, right? Pharaoh is not letting them go. God sends the ten plagues. And after the tenth plague, Pharaoh is saying, okay, go. You're gone. Just be gone. And all the Egyptians, they are so ready for the Israelites to be gone that they're throwing silver and gold at them saying, get out of here. Take our stuff. We don't care. Just leave. And so they leave. 
And they're on their way, and God is sending them on a route. They're following the path that God has given them. And, um, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Pharaoh's heart is hardened again. And he decides he's going to chase after the, uh, the Israelites with his horsemen, with his chariots. And they get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. They, the Israelites walk across, and the Red Sea swallows up the chariots. Right? We're all pretty familiar with the story, maybe from a child's book, maybe from a movie. Maybe you've read it yourself. Right? What happens on the other side? Well, when they get to the other side of that Red Sea, Moses sings a song. And this is what we see in that song. In your faithfulness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were terrified. The leaders of Moab trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have despaired. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone. Until your people pass over, Lord. Until the people pass over whom you have purchased. And so they are, in this song, Moses is praising God for what he has done for the Israelites. It is in his faithfulness, just like he remembered their covenants. God is faithful. He hears their cries. He remembers his covenant. He's going to free them. It's these people that he has led that he has redeemed. He has redeemed them at this point. And he has redeemed them with power, right? When he led them out, other nations heard about it, and now they're scared of what this God can do because of the power that he has shown. They are trembling at his might. And what I want to pull our attention to here is this last, uh, this last line, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. Okay, so we have the people whom you have redeemed at the beginning and the people whom you have purchased. And so there's, this is where the way we use the English word can begin to make, a, make some connections, right? Because I don't know about you, but I've basically only ever heard the word redeem in terms of coupons. Um, and then I think, uh, I was informed yesterday um, implicitly by Chris that there's also something with a pawnbroker. I would not actually ever heard of this. Uh, but there was uh, this is maybe the way we kind of think about redemption with a coupon or some sort of purchasing going on. And this should be, I think this, this causes me to step back and ask a question. What do you mean God purchased them? God didn't go to Pharaoh and say, okay, here's some silver and gold, now let me have the people. God didn't say, well, I'm going to give you these goods and you give me those goods. You know, that's what I think of when I think of purchasing. I got the money. They got the goods. It's just an exchange of goods. But that's not what happened when God purchased his people out of Egypt. God didn't go to the Pharaoh and say, here's some silver and gold. He said, no, you let my people go. This guy was a bad dude. He had enslaved them. He doubled their workload. Just before Moses talked to God in the burning bush, he wanted all the babies thrown into the river. This guy was awful. He came with great judgments on him. There was no exchange of goods happening. It was by his power. It was by his might. It was an act of justice to bring these people out of this bondage. That's how he purchased them. And so I think this is where that language that I was trying to talk about earlier becomes helpful because the key thing that I think we should notice as we're looking at what God has done to the Israelites in the Exodus from Egypt is that they have gone from being Egypt's people to God's people. 
there is a change in ownership. They become his. The, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. They have become his. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it talks about this event again. The Lord did not make you his beloved, nor chose nor choose you because you were great in number, greater in number than any of the peoples, since you were the fewest of all the peoples. What's he saying here? I didn't make you my people. God didn't make you his people because you were great and awesome. That's not why he made you his people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So again, we can see they were enslaved and now they're brought out of that slavery and they become God's people. They are now his when he redeems them with his mighty hand. And Deuteronomy 9.26 is saying something similar. Now this story of the Exodus, when it talks about redemption over and over again here, it sort of becomes like the bedrock for how the Old Testament refers to redemption over and over again. There's several different passages that where redemption and redeem comes up in the Old Testament that actually goes back to this event to understand what it means for God to be their redeemer, for God to be the one who redeemed them by bringing them out from under bondage, rescuing them from that place, and then making them his people. But there's many different instances where it talks about God redeeming. And we're just going to briefly sort of mention sort of the purposes or the goals that are mentioned in different passages for when God redeems. Just to list off uh, a few here, we saw that it's to become his people. In 2 Samuel, the same sort of thing is repeated, that they're going to become God's people. Another purpose he has is to rescue, to save from battle. He redeems so that they can keep his law. He redeems to save them from guilt. He redeems to ensure salvation and vengeance against evil and to save them from their enemies. All these are different goals or purposes that God has in mind when he is redeeming as we're looking through the Old Testament. And again, we can see some of those same key features that we saw before. There's a change in ownership. You become his people. You might have belonged to somebody else before. You might have been under the thumb of someone else before, but now you are his and you are rescued. You are rescued from where you were before. Another thing that I just think is really helpful when we're trying to paint the picture of what does it look like is what is the method? How is he doing it? We just saw in Exodus that the way he did it was with his great and mighty arm, right? With his power, with great judgments. And he does it with his power. Uh, Psalm 106 is talking about the Exodus and it says he did it with the Red Sea is how he redeemed them. He does it with justice. He does it by wiping out wrongdoings. He does it by defeating the tyrant. He does it without money. He does it by pleading their case. God redeems through his strength. That's sort of the main point here. It is through his strength and what he has the ability to do. He has the ability to wipe out your wrongdoings. He has the ability to forgive you of what you've done. He has the ability to defeat the tyrant that is over you. And that's what he does over and over and over again when he redeems. And so to just try to paint a picture here, of, this is the picture that comes to my mind. I'm sorry if it only works for my mind. Uh, I should have run this by my wife first, but I didn't come up with the idea until it was too late. Um, so 
The idea that the picture that I have in my head is that when what God's redemption looks like is that you or a people group is under someone or something. You're under their control. You're under their thumb. They've got you in some sense. And when God redeems, he takes you out from under that. He wipes out this person or this thing that is holding you down and you become his forgiven people. This is the picture of God's redemption. You were under this other thing. You were oppressed by this other thing. You were enslaved to this other thing. And now you are God's redeemed people. You are his possession. You're his forgiven people. And that's a beautiful picture. I mean, you just, just sit and try to think about it for a minute, what this meant for the Israelites. When they had this, this king, this pharaoh, who was trying to take their newborn babies and throw them into a river because he was scared of their population increase. And he had enslaved them and worked them and worked them. And the one time they asked to just go away for a little while to offer a sacrifice to God, he says, no way, and I'm going to double your workload. And now all of a sudden, they're not under that anymore. They are freed from that tyranny. That's a beautiful picture. That's a good picture. And that's what it looks like in a nutshell when our God redeems. Now, another thing that we have to talk about just briefly, if we're going to understand what it means for God to redeem is this word ransom. The word ransom comes up quite a bit uh, in connection and parallel with redeem. And it's, it's a, in the Old Testament, it's a different Hebrew word. Uh, but in the New Testament, they're actually the same Greek word, interestingly enough. So uh, it is important to understand what it means for God to ransom or for what does ransom mean in general? We're actually going to be looking at people doing something dealing with ransom. In Exodus chapter 21 and verse 30, this is uh, in the law of Moses. Uh, God, he's giving laws for how the people should behave themselves. <laughs> He says, if a ransom is demanded of him, then he shall give he then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. Okay, so whatever this ransom is, it's for the redemption of his life. It's so that you know he's no longer under a death penalty anymore. What this passage is talking about is there were in it's in the context of a law about having an ox that gores someone. Okay, so these are all farmers basically, and so they had an ox. If you had an ox, and your ox all of a sudden gores someone, kills somebody, and you had no evidence that it was ever violent before, then uh, the, the ox had to be killed, but the owner of the ox was off the hook. You're, you're not punished because of what your ox did when you had no idea it would do such a thing. Okay, But if your ox had previously shown tendencies to be violent and to be aggressive, and someone had warned you about that, and then your ox gore someone, now you're guilty. And it says in the verse before this that the punishment is death, that you die for what your ox has done. But there is an exception. If the family demands a ransom of the owner of that ox, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. You don't have to die if the family is willing to take this ransom instead. You don't have to die if the family is willing to take like a restitution, right? Uh, a recompense. Uh, maybe in modern day terms, we might use the word settlement. Uh, 
right? This is some sort of payment that you're going to give for the wrong that's done so that you don't have to suffer the, uh, the consequences of it. There's sort of an antithetical situation this in Numbers chapter 35, verse 31, where it says, Moreover, you shall not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who is condemned to death, but he must be put to death. That if a murderer is condemned to death because he has murdered someone, they cannot buy themselves out of that situation. There is no settlement. There is no restitution price. There is no ransom for that. Their, their, their fate is sealed. So, uh, these two things kind of help us see that when the word ransom is being used, it's being used as some sort of price that you're going to pay because of a wrong that's been committed and so that you don't have to suffer the consequences of that. And I, the, I give these two examples to really set us up to understand the one that's mo of most interest to us this morning. And it's the one found in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Here it says, The Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, When you take a census of the sons of Israel to count them, then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you count them, so that there will be no plague among them when you count them. Okay, so you're taking a census, you're counting the people, and it's basically sort of like a tax. You pay this money, and each person is going to pay this money as a ransom for himself. And what does it say? So that there will be no plague among them when you count them. You don't want the plague, so you pay this money. It's a ransom to avoid this penalty to avoid this consequence and as it goes on it talks about you know how the poor and the rich are going to pay the same amount of money for this ransom and it says and talking to the priest there you and you shall take the atonement money from the sons of israel and give it to the service of the tent of meeting so that it may be a memorial for the sons of israel before the lord to make atonement for yourselves this money that you are paying as a ransom so that you are not plagued, is here being called atonement money. It's money that makes you at one with God. It is money that covers your sins, that covers what you've done. It's like restitution. It's so that you don't have to pay the consequences that are due you. This is ransom. So putting these two ideas together, we have redeem which is like a change in ownership and there's rescue and, and forgiveness is often involved with this. And then you have ransom, which is a payment that's made in the form of restitution, recompense, or atonement. Okay, so in a nutshell, this is what we're looking at when we look at redeem and ransom. And now there's a really important question that I think everyone should be asking themselves, and that's, what does this have to do with me? You know, for those of us who are nerds, this was all really fun, right? Like, Cool. Words. I like words, right? But there's far greater significance to this than the intellectual pursuit that gives me a thrill, right? This has real impacts, and I want to try to convince you of that this morning. So that if you have followed along and you've seen what redeem and ransom mean, I now want you to think very carefully about yourself, because this isn't just something that's offered to some people thousands of years ago. It's something that has meaning for your life today. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, it talks about how the God redeemed them by getting them out of slavery, right? And you're saying, yes, okay, we've covered this. What does that have to do with me? Well, what this has to do with you is that you also are in need of redemption from slavery. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to that same one to whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Paul has this idea of the world here that every single person, God through Paul, sees every person right as slaves to something. You either belong to him because you're obedient to him, or you are a slave of sin. You are in bondage to sin. The same way that Pharaoh had the Israelites, sin may have you. And what did Pharaoh offer the Egyptians? Burdens and death. And what does sin offer you? Burdens and death. Every person is in need of the sword of redemption that we saw in Exodus. You need to be freed from that slave master, sin. Just in case that doesn't you know, quite do it for you, there's another reason why this is important. In Psalm chapter 49, verses 7 through 10, it says, No one can by any means redeem another or give God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is priceless. And he should cease imagining forever that he might live on eternally, that he might not undergo decay. For he sees that even wise people die. The foolish and the stupid alike perish and leave their wealth to others. What is this saying? Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're going to avoid death. It doesn't matter how much money you accumulate. It doesn't matter how much fame you have. It doesn't matter how important you are for your job. You're going to die. And your wealth is going to go to other people. No one can give a ransom for himself to avoid that. No one can pay the redemption price to avoid that faith. You, faith, you are going to die. But God can redeem your soul from the power of shale, the grave. God can redeem your life from that. And so what does redemption matter to you? You're going to die. Everyone's going to die at some point in time. And so what do you need? You need God, the Redeemer, to rescue you from death. That's what you need. Everybody needs this. If that doesn't get through your skull, think about it some more. You're going to die. We just saw lots of people die the past couple of years that no one saw it coming because of the coronavirus, right? We see lots of people die that no one saw it coming. It's going to happen. You can't decide when it's going to happen. You can't pay God some price. You can't pay someone some price and avoid death. It's coming to you and you need God to redeem you from that fate from the eternal fates of death, away from the Lord. The other thing that you need redemption for and why it should matter to you is the fact that he redeems from guilt. Israel, wait for the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his guilty 
deeds. God will redeem you from your guilty deeds. What guilty deeds? I'm talking about the things that you do wrong. Okay, well, I wronged somebody else. They forgave me. Let's look at Psalm chapter 51 real quick. Here, David is praying. He says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Here, David has just committed adultery and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Because he understands that fundamentally, when you do something wrong, you become guilty for against God, to God, and you have done something against Him. And so even though you may have done something wrong to somebody else in your life, you may have hurt their feelings, you may not have been there to help them when they really needed help, you may have said something that was just so devastating, it was a sin against your God, and He is righteous when He judges you guilty for that. And so just like Israel, you need redemption from your guilty deeds. So that's what this means to you. What does all this stuff about redemption and how it is God rescuing you and making you his people have to do with you? It's because you need God to redeem you from slavery to sin. You need God to redeem you from death. You need God to redeem you from the guilt that you have. Or you stay under the thumb of those things. You belong to sin, you belong to death, and your guilt owns you without God's redemption. And the good news is that He can redeem, and He sent Jesus to accomplish that. He can ransom you from that fate. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many when God became flesh in the form of Jesus and He lived this life, He didn't go around asking other people to serve Him, even though He had that right because He was God in the flesh. But He came to die. Why? To give a ransom. To pay that restitution price for your wrongdoings. You deserve the plague, but Jesus died to pay that price for you. Jesus is the one who can redeem you from your sins Ephesians chapter 1, 7 and 8 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. Through the blood of Jesus we have this redemption. The forgiveness that you need, the forgiveness that can wipe away your guilt, Jesus' blood is, what's accomplished, is what accomplishes that. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, For He rescued us. God rescued us. Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God rescues us from the power of darkness and puts us into His kingdom through Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We become His people. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, Paul says something similar. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Again, you can see these key features, right? That you are rescued from every lawless deed. You you go from belonging to lawlessness to now you are God's purified people. And that only can happen for you through Jesus and through his death. As 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way, futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You do not get redeemed with any sort of money that you can offer, but only through the blood of Christ, only through his sacrifice. And it is through his sacrifice that we see the power of God. It is through what Jesus did for us that we see his power. We talked about, I've made a big point in Exodus to say that it was with his mighty arm, that it is with his power. It was by his power that he redeemed. And it is through his power that he redeems today through the death of Jesus. And if that's a little bit strange to you, you're not alone. Lots of people thought that was strange in the first century too. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified uh, to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If it seems strange to you that a death is a demonstration of power, you're not alone. Lots of people have struggled with this. But this is the way God demonstrated his power to the world was by coming in the flesh and dying as that ransom payment for all and then being raised from the dead. So he showed that he had the power over sin because he never succumbed to it. He showed that he had the power of death because he was raised from it. It is through the power of God that Christ gave his life. It is not weakness. It is power and wisdom. Romans 8 verse 3 speaks to this when it says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Sin didn't beat Him, He beat sin in His crucifixion. It was a demonstration of His power and His God, God the Father as judge, Him as the judge of sin, as wrong, as evil, as ultimately the loser. And Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, talking about Jesus. He took on flesh. He became a person so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Notice what we can see. Mapping coming back from like the Exodus story, right? He defeated the one who had them enslaved through the death of Jesus. Those who were enslaved to the fear of death can overcome that. That's the power of our God. That's 
how he redeems you. First Corinthians 15 and Hosea 13, 14 are connected here. First Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of Jesus, how we're all going to be resurrected. And it talks about how the sting of death, um, where of death is your victory, where of death is your sting. This is coming right out of Hosea chapter 13. And notice the questions that are preceding it. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? That's like what we saw in Psalm 49. God will redeem me from Sheol. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? Yes. Yes, He will. He will through the victory of Jesus Christ. He will do that through His victory. You cannot escape death any other way. It's, it's got you. Separation from God for eternity. Living a life of misery for eternity and death. It's got you. You need rescue through the victory that is found in Jesus. So what is this all have to do with you. You need redeemed from slavery to sin. You need redeemed from your death. And you need redeemed from your guilt. You need redemption. And Jesus accomplishes that. Because the, through the victory of Jesus, we are forgiven. We are freed from sin and darkness. We become God's people. And we ensure escape from death. You need that redemption. And how do you know that you have it? What do you do to obtain it? How do you become redeemed? If you, if you know you don't have it, what do you do? If you want to make sure that you have it, what, what do I need to know? In Exodus chapter 6, when we were there, we saw that we saw what happened, right? He heard their cries and he freed them from slavery. And I'm going to tell you that you need the same thing. He got, you need to cry out to your God and let him free you from slavery to sin, free you from underneath death, to forgive you. That's what you need. And when we saw earlier in Romans chapter 6, when Paul was talking about that you were enslaved to something, he talks about earlier in that chapter how you escape that slavery to sin. He talks about how you get out from the slave master of sin and how you become one of God's. In Romans chapter 6, 3 through 9, it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is freed from sin. If you want to be freed from the slavery of sin, if you want to escape an eternal death, cast away from the presence of your God, you need to be buried with Christ in baptism and to raise up again with Him in newness of life. If you want to have your sins washed away and to be a new person, 
who can say that I am the redeemed of God. I am his now. I am not anyone else's. I am not anything else's. You need to cry out to your God, just like Paul was called on the on the road to Damascus. Now, why do you delay? Is what they asked. Why are you waiting? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. Just like the Israelites, they called out to God and he heard their groans and he answered them. You this morning, if you know that you need redemption, you can have it. Just cry out to him by having your sins washed away in baptism. Become a slave to sin no longer and become one of God's redeemed people. I beg you. I implore you to do that if you need God's redemption this morning. If you'll have a seat on the front pew, we would gladly assist you with that as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.